leader and a pastor, but he saw a need and wanted to see to it that it got done and leaned on us really hard to make sure that uh, the white Americans from up north showed up the next year with water filters. And it was our deep, deep joy to partner with them and to see that happen. And in fact, his, his passion and his uh, water brigade, if you will, has continued on in recent years. In fact, delivering piped water to that whole village that lived on our eco-filters for the last couple of years. So praise Jesus for that. It is amazing what happens when an individual partners up with a few of God's people to accomplish the mission that God has put on their heart. And each of us who are followers of Jesus have that passion that's been laid on our hearts. Now, maybe we've been ignoring it for years. Maybe we just haven't been attentive to quite hear it. Maybe we're new enough in our walking with Jesus that we're not quite sure what that God mission is on our heart. But it's there. God has laid something upon your heart. And if it's truly God's mission to be followed, I'm becoming more and more convinced all the time that it will never come to full fruition until we get around the people of God to fill out the story. If there's a piece to your story, to the mission God's laid on your heart that maybe doesn't quite link up yet, and it's just waiting for you to link up with the right people and connect and tell the story. It's why we have to talk about what our passion is all the time. You're passionate about music, you're passionate about engineering, you're passionate about beauty and healthcare, whatever it might be for you, and you're beginning to discern and ask God the question, why do I care so much about this? It's essential and key that we begin to talk about that with each other because God will begin to shake out what it is he's doing in all of that. Recently, uh, Jen and I and a few of our kids spent uh, the better part of a weekend in Reno, Nevada. Wah, wah, wah. Have you ever been to Reno? Uh, it's, it is, the landscape, who said beautiful? I actually agree. I think Reno's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, until you get into a casino. Uh, and then I'm just, I'm not a huge fan. It's just smoky and droned out looking at slot machines. And don't worry, for those of you who like to go put $10 in a slot machine and watch the lights go, I'm not judging on you at all. It's just not my thing. And I don't love it. But we were there for a weekend because our niece had a gymnastics competition. And this was such a, a strange and yet redemptive experience for me as I sat up really early on a Saturday morning writing my talk for here in a little kind of Starbucks cafe in the middle of a casino where these people were just droning out, playing slot machines and smoking cigarette end to end to end. And then in would walk this family of like 315 with ice chests and blankets and gear, and then always behind at the end of the train of this giant family with all of their gear walking through a hotel lobby that was a casino would be this little girl who weighed about 39 pounds in a gymnastics costume with done up hair and tons of hairspray and glitter all over her face and a sequin outfit. And it was like, one of these is not like the other and the other one is you. They just stuck out like a sore thumb. You just knew that they were here for the gymnastics competition. And it was a blast for me throughout the weekend to begin to link up. And I, I don't know gymnastics at all. Like our kids didn't do that. Praise Jesus. It looks really expensive. Uh, 
And so I, I don't like know the subculture of gymnastics at all. And so Jen and I, we got there early the, the day before all the competitions started and we, we gotta go check it out. So we go downstairs to this big kind of convention center-y kind of place where kids were competing and they have the traditional, you know, t-shirt set up. If your kids play sports, you've been to a tournament, you know, and you pay $38 for a cheap, ugly t-shirt, you know, that they put an iron-on press thing. How many of you have bought? Hundreds of those at soccer tournaments and softball tournaments. It's the same gymnastics contest. Uh, all this stuff. And you knew who the gymnasts were. You knew who they were walking through a casino. You knew who they were when they were in town. But here's the point of all of that that, that sunk into me so deeply because I, I know what they believe about physical fitness because they're gymnasts. I know a little bit about probably what they believe about their diet because they're athletes. I, I know a little bit about what they believe about family because you would see them all coming in a drove with aunts and uncles and siblings. I can tell a lot about what they believe by looking at them, but they weren't there to tell me what they think or what they believe. They were there to do gymnastics. And this is the key to the life for us as followers of Jesus. We believe some important and immovable truths about the world and about God. But that is not the essence of our Christianity. The essence of our Christianity is mission. It's to do the things God has called for us to do. Isaiah meets God and God touches his lips and his response is, I'm filthy, you've gotta clean me up. He knew what was true about God and true about him. But immediately after that, he says, send me, God. I will go for you. I will go on mission with you and for you and to you and through you. We were made for mission. We're created in the image of God. And God is a God of mission. The Father sending the Son and the Son sending the Spirit and the Spirit sending the church. We were made for mission and our lives make the most sense when they are lived on mission. And when the mission is me, when the mission is you, when the mission is self, when the mission is income or finally the four bedroom, three bath house, when the mission is something other than the kingdom mission, our life and its purpose begins to unravel pretty quickly. So we gather in this place and we sing, you are worthy of it all. Day and night, night and day, let incense rise. Let the ways of Jesus rise from us like an incense from a candle in a room. That the fragrance of Jesus would fill our community through the mission that we live. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, if you're using new version, we've got some helpful resources in there today. We're going to talk quite a bit about Guatemala today and our work in Guatemala. There's links in the U version. So uh, use U version, find a little event in the bottom right there uh, for Disciples Church. Acts chapter 14. And uh, as you've got your phone out, let me uh, just remind you, we haven't done it this way in some time, but let me remind you that uh, right on your phone is the easiest way to invest in your own generosity. 
and uh, to invest in the mission of disciples. We've got a, a giving station set up in the back of the room that we want to encourage you to interact with later in the service. But don't forget, you can give right from your phone. You can do online. You can text in your gift this morning as well. I, I'm becoming more and more convinced all the time that your generosity is the only door that will open you up to greater depths of gratitude, increased trust in God, and a vision for God's kingdom. These are three doors that only open through generosity, I am convinced. And then when we step through the door of generosity, we begin to find our gratitude deepen, and we begin to experience a deepening trust and an expanding kingdom vision for our lives. So, uh, you have everything to gain through your own generosity and everything to lose by your own stinginess. Everything to gain through our generosity. Later uh, today on your way out, you'll also find annual giving receipts in the back uh, to your right. So um, on your way out, be sure you pick those up. They'll save us whatever it is now to mail a letter in the mail, and like $7 now to mail something in the mail. So uh, save the church that money and you can pick it up. And if you're new with us, you just want to know more about what we're about and, and how we view money as a community of faith. We've set some of our annual letters back there. And so if you're new with us or you didn't get a chance to give at all in the last year, you can stop by and just grab a letter on your way out. And I think that'll help begin to formulate the picture and clear the picture up uh, for what it is we believe is a community of faith about generosity and giving. So uh, check those out. I think Sean will reference them a little bit later as well. Acts chapter 14, uh, right before we dive into scripture, uh, would you pray for me? Jesus. We want your ways to penetrate our lives and become normative today. Jesus, we want your will and your way to become our second nature. And we say many times today, we're going to place our trust in you. I'm going to be honest, God, you know this about me. It does not come naturally for me to trust you. And so we, I place my trust in you. And I pray that on behalf of my friends here, that we would place our trust in you and that your ways would begin to percolate in our lives and live out in our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 14, uh, Barnabas and Paul had been sent out. Okay, they got sent out in Acts chapter 13. You may remember uh, one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture. You've probably heard me talk about this before. And they were praying and they were fasting, and the Holy Spirit says to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have for them. And so they lay hands on them, they fast and pray some more, which is always a beautiful picture to me. And they send them out on their first of what would eventually be three missionary journeys that are uh, talked about in the book of Acts. I mean, three missionary journeys that. Paul does. They're all talked about in the book of Acts. We pick up uh, early on in the first of those three missionary journeys. Uh, chapter 14, I'm going to pick up in verse 8. Feel free to read back if you want to read back, but for the sake of time, I'm going to pick up in verse 8. This is Paul and Barnabas. While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked he was sitting and listening to Paul as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul realized that he had faith to be healed. 
Can we just stop right there and respond emotionally however you need to? What? Huh? How do you know he has the faith to be healed? I don't want to make light of it or crack a joke. I, how do you know? Paul's preaching away. Paul's got work to do. Like, I'm a guy who gives talks. And I gotta be honest with you, friends. There, there are a lot of times when I give a talk here or elsewhere, and I have work to do, right? I have things to get through. And so if I, I I'm not attentive enough to look down and say, oh, there's somebody who needs healing. They have the faith to be healed. This says so much about this life that Paul had with God. This inner life that was so attuned to God's desire and to people's response to God. And this is not reserved for the preacher. Not at all. So Paul calls on him. I'm in verse 10. Paul called out to him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. When the crowd saw what Paul, what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect that these, men's, these men are gods. It goes on to tell the story that they call these men gods and Paul and his friends are, are so troubled by that concept that they actually tear their clothes in a traditional Jewish mourning to mourn, M-O-U-R-N, not like mourning in, early in the day, but traditional mourning, they tear their clothes like that. Nothing could be worse news in the world than for them to think that when the power of God is unleashed that it's something about the man, that it was all about God. In the next 10 years, we uh, have discerned, we really believe uh, some areas where God has been at work in the life of Disciples Church over our first 10 years. And we don't know exactly what that looks like. Uh, if we were wired up differently or whatever, we might have some perfect little initiatives on the wall for you to do. And there's a few things that we're doing that we really believe in. But, but there's these four general areas. I, so far, have been calling them atmospheres. The leadership team's going to have to work on that with me and, and maybe find some new language for that. But just kind of four atmospheres, because I don't want it to be stuff we do. It's atmospheres where we have seen God at work. We've seen God at work in our church family when we have cared about local compassion. Not, not like marketing that we call outreach. Not like hanging door hangers to try to get people to come to our party, which is wonderful. I love people come to our party. I want more people to come to our party, but I'm talking about local compassion. When we care for the least and the lost and the left out, something has shifted in you and in me when we've done that stuff. Some, some like piece of God's character has gotten its way into us inadvertently when we've done that, when we've cared for the homeless. We have been forever changed. Who's been forever changed by serving at the homeless shelter? How many of you have stayed up all night with a homeless person who's strung out on drugs here and troubled and just felt God pull your heart out and put his heart in and forever different? For some, it's Twin Lakes Food Bank or Powerhouse or 
Other places, I don't, I'm sorry, I know I'm going to leave some things out that you're doing, and, and I want firmness. Something has happened when we've cared about local compassion. Something has shifted when we have invested in church planters. We're going to have another church planter here in March that's going to spend a week with us and learn a little bit about Disciples Church. We're going to invest in he and his wife and send them back up to Tacoma where they're going to plant a church. Something shifted in us as a people when we've cared about the kingdom more than our little empire. Which is a good thing, because this ain't much of an empire, guys. The carpet is bad. Uh, something has shifted in you and me, in us, when we have partnered with the global church. When we have partnered on mission around the world. And I will argue next week in the final talk of this series that it all hinges on how we worship. All of it hinges on when we approach the presence of God, how he finds us. It all hinges on that. When we're singing a song and it's starting to die down and in my head, I'm feeling like, okay, this song is, you know, coming to an end and, and I'm just using a song as an example. That's not the only way we worship. Maybe not even the primary way, but it's something we can all do together. So we do that on Sundays. But when we're, we're singing and Charmaine starts shouting out hallelujah from the back, it's like, hey, we ain't done yet, guys. That, there's something happens in the midst, and it's like, I, I was literally, I pulled my iPad out to think, oh no, what do I got to say in this talk? I got to remember what I'm supposed to start with, and I'm glancing through really quick, Charmaine says hallelujah, as if God was saying, put the stupid iPad down, you're with me right now. Thanks, Charmaine. It all hinges on who we are when we worship God. And if when we worship God, it's all about us. We're not going to be able to care about local compassion care. We're not going to invest in more church planters. We're not going to be able to partner with the global church because those things aren't all about us. If when we were, you get it, right? I'll preach next week's sermon next week. Kind of thought. See, here's the thing. We, we see in these early verses, Paul is on a missions trip. Like, they didn't call it that yet because Christianity is brand new. They just got on a boat and went where God sent him. And he shows up and he's speaking and he's preaching and he believes that this guy sitting down there who is crippled in his feet and has been since birth is ready and has the faith to be healed. And so Paul pauses the sermon, which I'm sure was really, really good, probably really confusing and impossible to understand, but, you know, probably really smart nonetheless. And Paul says, be healed, stand up and walk. And I'm telling you guys, I, this is, I know I'm a little overly pragmatic at times, but this is the deal. Mission trips hone our real-time discernment. There is almost nothing in the world that will hone your real-time discernment of what God is doing than going on a missions trip. Because all day long on a missions trip, we're walking and going, okay, where do you go next? God, what do you want us to do? God, what, what do I say here? How, how am I supposed to pray? Okay, it's not it's, it, we're just on heightened alert for what God's up to for the span of five, six days, 24-7. For some of us, it's, and this is no blame or shame, but for some of us, it's the only five days in a row in our lives where we have started the day in prayer and with Scripture. And that alone takes our heart out and puts God's heart in when we go on mission, it's spiritual pilgrimage. 
It's engaging with God's heart. It mission trips hone our real-time discernment. I just didn't see that of Paul in other times. Something about him accepting the challenge of God to go on mission, and all of a sudden now he's preaching and talking to people, and he's sensing what God is up to in their lives. And that is not unique to Paul. We come back when we're in Guatemala, we sit around a dinner table every night and we eat really good in Guatemala. The food is incredible. We, there's beautiful restaurants and we sit down as a team and we debrief the day and, and we oftentimes ask around the table, what did you sense God up to today? And people who have never heard God speak before their lives go, I think God might be up to that. People who have come on the trip with us believing that God didn't even exist before have encountered the presence of God. Unbelievable. Skip ahead with me to uh, verse 21. They're still on this mission trip. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, it doesn't say converts, guys. It doesn't say they led hundreds of people across the line of faith. It doesn't say they prayed the sinner's prayer. Again, these are wonderful things. But if we make disciples, all of that comes. But if praying a prayer or checking a box of eight things we agree to believe about God to be true, if that's the essence of our Christian faith, then actually following Jesus is completely optional. But here's the beautiful thing about the flip side, that if we make disciples, then we follow Jesus. And in the process of following Jesus, we face down the things that we're not so sure we believe are true about God. And we say, you know, God, I don't, I don't really know if Jonah was in the belly of that whale. That seems like a crazy story, but I'm following you, Jesus. So I'm going to deal with that truth when I get there. And we're going to wrestle that through. And I'm going to do it in community. And we are not going to be the kind of community that shames and blames each other when we have our doubts. We're also not going to be the kind of community that when we have a doubt, we use that as an excuse to tap out and isolate and leave. We're going to stay in it together. This, this is actually what following Jesus is. Thomas comes to Jesus and says, I won't believe it until I feel the holes in your hand. He's doubting, he's doubting, he's doubting. But then like four days later, when the disciples have a touch of the Holy Spirit on them, guess who's there? Thomas. The guy who was like not so sure that Jesus even died and was resurrected, but he's like, but I'm in this with you guys. We'll follow Jesus together and figure it out. In 1974, this guy Leslie Newbegin arrives back to the UK. He and his wife had spent some 40 years in India as missionaries. So you back that up, and I, I think they left sometime in the mid-1930s. Wikipedia it, if you'd like. I didn't put the link in there, but New Begin. So New Begin, uh, which is kind of a beautiful name that God gave this guy because he's a father of a lot of new beginnings theologically. But he comes back from India after 40 years on the mission field. 
leading people into a discipling relationship with Jesus and seeing miracles happen and all this stuff. And he arrives back in Great Britain in a time, you know, prior to the internet and a whole lot of telephones. So he doesn't know the culture of England anymore. And he arrives back in Great Britain and he finds that his country is nothing like it once was. It's, God is not at the center anymore. People are following Jesus. The, the churches and the steeples are lying empty. And in response to what he sees in England, he concludes that it was not an issue, first and foremost, of the church forgetting that salvation mattered or that the church was designed to grow. Rather, he concluded this was a fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of God. And in his masterpiece of a book called The Open Secret, he writes that the Christian church is culture's hermeneutic of the gospel. What in the world does that mean, Stu? I looked it up. Here it is in layman's terms, guys. Our neighbors will only ever understand the gospel of Jesus by watching us live. That's what they know about the gospel. Said another way, uh, our lives are the only Bible that our neighbors are reading. And everything that they know to be true about God, they know by how we live. And so if we live with joy in the midst of sorrow, they believe that the gospel affects our joy. If we live with full trust, even when there seems to be almost nothing worth trusting, they believe that the gospel of Jesus must be trustworthy. If they see us live with the security of who God is, even in the midst of doubt, they believe that the gospel must have space for insecurity. And the list goes on and on and on. You see in these verses, and after preaching in these places, they come back, and then verse 22 now, where they strengthened the believers, they encouraged them to continue in the faith, and they were reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas, verse 23, Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church, prayer and fasting. They turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they put their, put their trust. Then they traveled back and they preached the word in Perga and other places. The other beautiful piece about joining God on mission, especially for us joining God on mission globally, so it extracts us from our cultural context and extracts us from our suburban American life where pretty much everything we do is designed for our safety and security. When we extract ourselves from that and then plunk us down, God led us as a church to Guatemala. He may lead us other places additionally in the future. But when we plunk ourselves down in those places and in Guatemala, we find and are reminded that on mission, we tend towards the essentials of Christianity. It's like a reset back to basics. When we arrive on mission, the life of following God becomes very simple again. All the complications of following Jesus are really simple. It's we wake up in the morning in Guatemala in a very nice hotel, a comfortable bed where God kept us safe. 
There have been some earthquakes, but um, those were kind of fun. And we go downstairs and we start our day by eating a meal together with our friends. And then we go for breakfast and we come out to the lobby and we do uh, a reading together that's uh, historically known as the daily offices, where we read a set liturgy together, back and forth from scripture. We pray out loud together and we pray out and we just commune with God together. And then we go out, we pile into vans or a bus and we drive across the city or up into the mountains wherever we want to minister. And all day long, all we think about is God's mission. So much so that a lot of days we forget to eat lunch. And those of us who've been a few times always have a stash of granola bars and almonds and M&Ms in our backpack. And the people who are getting hungry go, hey, I'm hungry. And we feed each other. And Christianity gets really simple on mission. We care for one another as we announce that the kingdom of God is alive and well. And we pray over the sick. And we go into city and we find medicine for the hurting. It's just so simple. It's such a beautiful five or six days of reset. This is a little taste of heaven in the midst of poverty. On mission, we tend towards the essentials of Christianity. Paul is on mission, and he comes back from mission, and it's just so simple. He strengthens the believers, and he encourages them to continue in the faith, and they pray and they fast. Then these closing verses, 26 through 28. Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch. Of Syria. For those who uh, have a little bit of memory here, if not, don't sweat it at all. Back to Acts 13, kind of where I, I alluded to this morning. They started in Antioch, in the church of Antioch, which was like the it church of the day. And so they gone on their first mission, and then they go back to Antioch. I love that. I love that they go back to who sent them. If, if this is a bit of an aside, but if there's a pastor or a leader or a woman or man in your life that told you about Jesus as a child or as an adult, and you haven't called them recently or sent them a text to say, thank you for pouring into my life. I'm following God partly as a result of you. Do it today. Do that today. Send the text, get on Facebook or whatever, and send them a note and just say, your investment in my life made a difference. This is such a simple Christian way to encourage each other in the faith. Upon arriving in Antioch, verse 27, they called the church together and they reported everything God had done. Not all that they had accomplished in God's name, but what God had done through them and how they had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And they stayed there with the believers for a long time. It's like a, such a beautifully simple Christianity. And it's, it's a rhythm as old as the Christian faith itself. There's a story of the earliest Christians who were being persecuted. And so they couldn't ever uh, mention the name of Christ or who they were for fear that they might get killed. And there's a kind of folklore that goes around that the early Christians would arrive at each other and if they were on the beach or they were in the dirt or whatever, they would grab a stone or a stick and they would do this little swoop of a line. It just was nothing, just a little swoop of a line. 
kind of looked like a Nike swoosh. And that if the other person was also a follower of Jesus, they would do the invert of that same swoop to make that little Jesus fish that our grandparents always had on the backs of their cars. That's where that little swoop thing came from. This, this idea that, hey, we're in this together, let's encourage one another. Christianity gets really simple on this. I want to invite the band to uh, join me up here. Prayer team, would you distribute yourselves around the room wherever you're going to pray for people and, and be ready for that? This year's trip to Guatemala will be a reflection of who we are as a church. Like gymnasts in a lobby of a casino, we, we will stand out like sore thumbs there, but not just because we believe some things or think some things or wear the t-shirt, because we are there on mission. We are there to compete. We are there to do whatever, back handsprings for Jesus. That is why we are there. And it will communicate who we are as a church. Certainly we believe important things about the faith that have been believed about the faith since the earliest of days of Christianity. And our Christian orthodoxy has not moved as a church, but, but hear me, we will not lead with what we think is true. We will lead with how we serve on mission and the ways in which we serve on mission will communicate everything that we believe. We're gonna split into three little sub-teams this year on the team. We're, we're, Reflecting back what we've heard from you for years, which is, I'd like to go to the Guatemala trip, but I'm kind of an organized person, or I, I, I don't want to do this or that. I, I really want to serve in a way that I'm gifted. So we're responding to the ways in which you've said, I would get involved if. And so we have three unique teams this year. We will all meet together in the mornings, and then we will split off for our various tasks. We have a teaching team that will go into La Limonada at Vitas Plenis for uh, a few days, and we'll also be out in the hills of Alcatillo for a few days, teaching children Bible lessons, and singing songs, and praying with little ones. Those of you who have hearts of compassion or desire to teach or just speak Spanish for the love of all things. We need a few of you who would be willing to be that core teaching team. We don't need a lot, but just a few. We need four to six of you who will partner with Matilde and assist him and his team in completing construction on a building. For the first time ever on one of our mission trips, we're doing a construction project. So we need those of you, women and men, who are willing to stack brick. You don't need to be a gifted contractor. Matilde and his guys know exactly how to build these buildings. What they need is our muscle, and our checkbook, and we're gonna bring both. So we need four to six of you who will say, I'll be the construction team, and every day you're gonna get up early and go stack block and spread more. And then we need three to five of you with gifts of compassion and intercessory prayer. And you're gonna travel around to all the same locations and just do home visits all day, every day, and sit with people and pray for them. We need people on this Compassion Prayer team who are gifted and uh, either trained medically, nurses, doctors we're going to need. But we also need people who know how to pray for healing, who know how to pray for intercessory prayer, who know how to lead somebody into a life of Jesus. 
You're going to spend all day, every day in homes with people, both in the city and out in the hills. We saw in chapter 14 today how mission hones our discernment in real time. And we saw how it simplifies Christianity back to its core. Guatemala serves as a beautiful context for that. I am praying that many of you will join me this year. And I'm praying that many of you who've gone before will join me. I'm praying that many of you who've never been before will, will now see, oh, I can really link in with my area of giftedness and walk into a team. In your U version, there's a link to the webpage with all the further details about Guatemala and the team. Click that link if you can't find it, go to the website, but it's right there in your U version. But I want to challenge you this morning uh, to stand to your feet now, if you would. All of us. We're going to sing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And the prayer team are scattered around the room ready to pray for you. And you may be facing a lot of stuff in life today that you want to get prayer for. Please come see the prayer team. Have them pray for that. But I, I want to I ask you to do one other thing uh, and step out if you come and get prayer. If you would uh, allow that prayer team member to pray for you and just ask, God, is this a person who's supposed to go to Guatemala this year? Just ask the question. Because I, I, we believe that not everybody is going to come, right? Uh, but just ask God the question. Would you be willing to submit yourself to say, God, do you want me to go? And be willing to say your yes first. I will go if you want me to go, God. You have my yes ahead of time, and now I'm just waiting to hear you say, this is your year or not your year. And then I want to ask you, uh, if you open yourself up for the prayer team to pray for you, I want you to go out on a limb and pray for the people on the prayer team in the same way. Would you then turn and pray for them? Because they're gifted in prayer. And say, God, do you want this person to go to pray? So pray for each other. We're going to sing together, Holy Spirit, Pastor Sean, we have to wrap this up. Bless you, my dear friends and family. I love you so much. And I'm so excited for what God's doing in our church. Let's worship.